Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to this special event on information needs for food crisis risk early warning, the role of the food security portal. My name is Ternus van Reenen. I'm the Director of Business Development and External Relations at the International Food Policy Research Institute. We would like to thank you for joining this virtual live event and thank those who will be watching the recording after the event. We are being live streamed on ifpi.org, YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we are very keen to hear from you. To participate in our Q&A session that will follow the speaker's remarks, please submit your questions in the chat box on the platform that you are using or by using hashtag AskIFPRI on Twitter. We have a very exciting program lined up for you today with speakers and panelists who are really top experts in the field of providing a better understanding of the various drivers of food crisis, including the impacts of COVID-19 on food security. Let me start by calling on Conrad Rhein. Conrad Rhein is the policy officer at the European Commission and co-chair of the Global Donor Platform for Rural Development. But before giving you the floor, Conrad, I would like to express my real great appreciation for the partnership we've had with the European Commission and support for the food security portal since the very beginning, more than 10 years now. Conrad, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Tunis, and good afternoon from Brussels. First of all, I would like to thank IFPRI for inviting me to deliver opening remarks at today's seminar. I'm excited to hear about how we can improve data and information sharing and eventually coordination. As you know, the EU is a long and strong and long-term supporter of the food security portal, which provides open access to on-the-ground information on food security issues and policy developments around the world. The portal is therefore highly relevant to the development context of food and nutrition security governance. It is certainly appropriate to say that over the years, the portal has arisen as a global public good. This became especially evident this year with the emergence of COVID-19. To contribute to better informed policies, IFPRI, in addition to working hard to improve the user-friendliness of the portal's website, launched a much appreciated COVID-19 landing page on the website of the food security portal linking several useful tools and resources for tracking and analyzing the potential impacts of the global pandemic. Tools such as those that monitor and analyze food trade and food prices are very useful for our daily work. Concluding, I wish to mention that EU support to the portal also enables regional policy dialogue events to take place, bringing together key stakeholders to share lessons learned and facilitate the exchange of data and information sharing. These events have also taken place this year in Rwanda, Ethiopia, and at regional level in Sub-Saharan Africa. Let me emphasize that I consider the sharing of information and data as vital for our daily work. In this spirit, I wish to congratulate IFPRI for transforming the food security portal into a highly useful and relevant tool making information and data widely available. And I now have the pleasure to declare the renewed food security portal officially launched.
You're muted. Sorry, I uh, um, am now hopefully not muted. Uh, thank you so much, Conrad, for your opening remarks and for officially launching the Upgraded Food Security Portal. Uh, our next speaker is Rob Foss, the Division Director of the Markets, Trades and Institution Division at IFPRI. Aside from talking about the need for monitoring the drivers of food crises to inform policy, he will also introduce the Upgraded Food Security Portal. Rob, the floor is yours. Thank you, Tanis, for this introduction and Conrad and the European Commission for raising the curtain on the revamped food security portal. Dave, my presentation is twofold. Um, first, I would like to set the stage for the discussion today about how we can improve our information systems to better identify food crisis risk and actions to prevent these from happening. Second, I'll showcase how the revamped food security portal is trying to contribute to this end. Next slide, please. If this food security portal uh, initiated its journey about 10 years ago in the aftermath of what is now called the global food price crisis of 2007-2008, when shortfalls in global food supplies emerged, triggering food price spikes and increased price volatility, seriously affecting food insecurity in many parts of the world. In the aftermath of these events, the food security portal started contributing to the daily monitoring of global markets. One key measure was to look at the degree of price volatility in the trading of staple foods. Maxo Motorero, who's also part of this uh, panel and to discussion today, is one of the creators of this volatility index shown here for hard wheat. High price volatility could signal global food prices risks. The food security portal provides daily updates of this index. The pink vertical bars signal excessive price volatility. We saw a lot of volatility at the end of the 2000s and the beginning of the past decade, but markets for staple foods have been relatively calm since. At the start of COVID-19, many observers asked us whether we would be seeing a repeat of what we saw in 2007 and 2008. With a quick glance at the tool, we could quickly respond that we saw little indication of anything similar. The index continued to point at relative market stability and only some policy uh, responses like temporary export bans on wheat and rice exports by some major producers caused a short spell of volatile price behavior during April and May, as shown at the end of the graph. And as other indicators also have shown present conditions in uh, global food markets for staple foods are not the main concern for food security today. The point here is that there are good parameters that can serve to quickly gauge conditions in food markets. But market volatility is of course, but one dimension of complex realities. Also now living almost a year with COVID-19, we're still searching to understand better how food systems and food security are affected by the pandemic and other crises. A lot of different pieces need to be brought together to solve this puzzle. And this is where the food security portal sees an important and continued role for itself. Next slide, please. To be precise, the food security portal seeks to provide three types of information services. First, provide a hub for early warning 
of food crisis risk. Second, provide tools for policy analysis to decision makers. And three, provide a platform for policy dialogue and capacity development. Let me take you on a short journey along some of these features. Next slide, please. First, we have introduced many new features to strengthen the food security portal's role as a hub for early warning and food crisis risk information. Four of those features are an enhanced food price watch, more particularly looking at local food market prices. Um, and this <clears throat> we started to introduce uh, with COVID-19 as a tool to track the price effects of supply disruptions in uh, local markets. Uh, Kartal, if you could already move to the next slide, we're already there. Um, and second, uh, enhance the visibility of the global food crisis reports to which we contribute through the food security information network and the global network against food crisis. And third, a new control panel for risk monitoring. And uh, last but not least, the hub itself, which provides easy access to an array of early warning, early action systems that are available uh, and managed by other organizations. Next slide, please. Here's a closer look at the COVID-19 food price monitor, which shows food prices at local retail and wholesale markets in a range of countries and for a wide range of food products, shown here for the case of food markets in Burundi. A traffic light system is applied here. The red dots indicate big price increases, more than 15%, since the start of the lockdowns in March of this year. It shows here that people in Burundi are facing significant price increases for maize and beans, but not so much for rice, wheat, and peas, for instance. The point here is that the alert uh, shows uh, the price spikes, although it doesn't show directly where this, the prices uh, um, have come from, where the, the reasons for the price increases, and what they might mean for food security uh, impacts. But they do uh, alert to possible supply disruptions, and uh, that will take the analysts and policymakers to investigate further. To help the user, we'll uh, also make this instrument linkable to another new tool that will become available shortly, which allows users to simulate the impact of food price increases on poverty and food insecurity. Next slide, please. The global report on food <coughs> crisis. Um, provides uh, information on food crisis situation and risk, building on assessments from a wide range of collaborating partners through the Food Security Information Network and to inform the global network against food crisis. These reports and its regular updates now have become a gold standard for the identification of food crisis and needs for immediate food aid and more lasting food crisis, crisis prevention. The portal helps disseminate these findings and raise greater awareness of the driver of food crises. Next slide, please. But beyond dissemination and raising awareness, the food security portal is providing value added in two ways. First, the early warning hub, whose components are shown here on the right, 
and which uh, covers all of the relevant systems linked to the assessments for the global report on food crisis, plus a few additional tools to help guide policymakers to the more detailed assessments, as well as to understand better what is behind of each of the systems, how they compare, and which to use when. On the left, the control panel for risk monitoring uh, shows uh, and allows the user to overlay multiple risk and food security outcomes on the same map and in the same dashboard, ranging from what's currently important, COVID-19, data of the spread of the disease and its mortality, uh, crop conditions and forecast of harvest, for which we have collaboration with NASA and GeoGlam for satellite data of biophysical and weather conditions. You can also, also overlap it with food market conditions, food prices, and food trade, as well as with the uh, outcomes in terms of food insecurity, as well as the food aid provided to different parts of the world. The, the map currently works at the national level, but is being refined to subnational data and will also form building a building block for real-time food crisis monitoring system that we are developing uh, as we speak. Next slide, please. The second main service provided by the food security portal relates to easy data access and a broad set of tools for policy analysis. Let me highlight just three dimensions here. First is the portal's data gateway that brings together thousands of food security data sets that are in the public domain and all these data can be easily downloaded, including those specific to the portal. Uh, second, we provide a wide range uh, of policy tools. Um, these go well beyond just the specific COVID-19 related tools uh, mentioned on this slide, but they include, for instance, easy access to long-term foresight analysis and comparison of alternative scenarios of climate change and agriculture investment priorities for long-term food system sustainability, as well as the tool already mentioned uh, that allows simulating the impact of food price spikes and poverty and food insecurity for a wide range of countries. The COVID-19 page, and Conrad already referred to that, brings together wells of data and analysis of COVID-19's presumed impacts on food security, including several widely used and cited tools developed by IFPRI researchers, such as, and uh, I list them on the next slide, and so the next slide, please, includes the food trade policy tracker, uh, um, widely used uh, to um, look at the trends in uh, export restrictions in particular on food, um, the food price tracker, which I already mentioned, uh, the analysis that we're doing and updating uh, regularly on the impacts of global poverty, which is shown here in the image on the left, um, our longstanding food security media analysis tool that uh, reviews um, information in the media and in official documentation about food security issues to signal hotspots of food security uh, issues. Um, and uh, also our uh, policy response portal, um, uh, which uh, refers to uh, how countries are taking measures to um, uh, fight off the impacts of COVID-19. And last but not least, excess price volatility tool, which I already referred to at the beginning. Uh, next slide, please. And last but not least, the third 
food security portal services to provide platforms for policy dialogues and capacity developments. We try to form such dialogues with easy access to up-to-date analysis of food security challenges and solutions to overcome them through uh, the portal's uh, blog series. The organization of regional and national policy dialogues is also important and also Conrad referred to several of them and uh, we uh, um, uh, organized among others for stakeholders in Africa uh, dialogues on the role of cross-border trade for food security, impacts of COVID-19 on childhood nutrition, malnutrition and mortality, the real-time monitoring of food risk factors, uh, strengthening food value chains as well as um, strengthening a productive capacity for Rwanda's agricultural transformation process. And furthermore, uh, the next slide, please, the, is the development of e-learning platforms to strengthen policy analysis capacities. And here uh, I have another ribbon cutting moment uh, for you. We now also officially launch our series of e-learning courses. The first course that is available provides an introduction to impact evaluation uh, tools of, uh, of, uh, for the analysis of the effectiveness of development projects. The tool was vetted by experts from our AgroDEP uh, network of researchers and policy analysts in Africa, and you can access this course as of now. Two more courses will also be available very soon, one on gender empowerment, uh, which comes in three modules, and one on e economy-wide modeling for food security analysis. Next slide, please. Let me close by mentioning that the food security portal looks um, first in the first sense at global issues, but has a specific priority to provide better information and tools for food security um, assessments uh, for Africa and African stakeholders. For this reason, the specific portal dedicated to Africa has been revamped in the same way and is also available in French and English uh, language. Next slide, please. And in closing, let me invite all of you to visit the revamped food security portal using the link here. And I encourage you to send us feedback with your insights as well as with your comments and suggestions of how we can improve. As an old adagium says, um, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. With the portal, we try to contribute to the management of food security with better information, analysis, and tools for analysis. We depend on you to tell us what we need to do more and what we need to do better to help prevent food crises and end hunger. I look forward to the further discussion and thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, Rob, for your excellent presentation. I am a regular user of the Food Security Portal and I'm, I will really look forward to exploring its new tools and features and, and uh, take up your invitation to, to visit it quickly again. Our next presenter is very familiar with the importance of timely data and information for preparing, responding and adapting to food crisis. Arif Hussain is the chief economist with the World Food Programme and he will talk about early warning systems for food aid and food crisis prevention. Arif, the floor is yours. Thank you, Jonas. Um, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone. Um, I would just, just start by, by saying that, you know, 
uh, when COVID hit um, in March and when all of these lockdowns came, uh, it was it was um, it was like the work did not stop. We still had to answer questions, whether those questions were about assessments or about monitoring of our projects. We had to tell people who's affected, why, where they are, how many, what type of assistance would they require? And uh, those questions didn't go away. And um, that is something we, are, we, we feel like we were lucky because we had gone through this in the past. In fact, going back to, to 2012, we had started to look at ways of using these new technologies like mobile uh, phones, for example, uh, using SMSs, using um, live calls, using robocalls to ask people about their food security situation. We had in fact starting doing this in DRC in 2012 in the camp. And uh, it was just a trial. It was just, just something to test. And then what happened was that we got to 2014 and we had the Ebola crisis. And again, like COVID uh, in three countries in West Africa, you still had to answer those questions but you couldn't go there. And we looked around and said, okay, so what can we use? And this thing, which we called MWAM, was present. And we said, okay, no other choice, so let's try it. And we used that to again, assess, to monitor projects and see how things were going in terms of um, things relevant to food security, uh, people's consumption. How do people cope? Uh, when they don't have enough food? What happens when they lose their livelihoods? Um, do they have access to markets? Do they have as access to health centers? Very, very relevant, but few questions. Because one thing about um, these technologies is they're on, on a phone or through an SMS, there's not a whole lot you can ask. So whatever you're gonna ask, you have to be quite sure about, about that. And um, we were able to do that. And then what happened was as COVID went away, so did our ability to actually go and do this. So from about several countries, we went back, but that system continued. And today, because of that, when COVID struck, we were able to get information out of almost 40 countries through this system. And our objective is to take that 40 countries and take it to 60 countries. Because if we can cover 60 countries of the world where emergency food security situations are, are, are need covering or are bad, I think we will have a pretty good, good, um, good situation. Now, goes without saying that we couldn't have done this if we didn't have support. And whose support? support of um, places like um, academia, places like IFPRI, um, support of other agencies, um, support of donors, um, including US, including uh, EU, including DEVCO, including the Dutch. Many partners came together for us to build these systems. And today um, in this situation, 
these are the situations, uh, these are the systems which can provide information as a global public good to many, many, many partners. So sometimes, you know, people talk about breaking silos. I'm a fan of connecting silos. And I think this portal, this is amazingly good silo in that sense to which we are going to connect and we are connected and our information, it is it minimizes duplication, but at the same time, it increases exponentially increases access to our information. Same thing with the DEFCO global network. We connect, we build, and then the information, the knowledge gets used by everybody else. Now, here what is also, because we have been doing it for several years, in fact, um, there are some lessons learned, like with anything else. And those lesson le lessons learned in the first and foremost is to avoid duplication. Why avoid duplication? Because the companies which are able to provide this are very few out there. So if you're all going to the same companies and asking them to do the same thing, uh, it's not gonna be useful. But there is a recognition of this. And what you see is entities like World Bank working with us. We working with FAO in terms of Desert Locus and uh, the, the monitoring for that. And gradual but complete recognition by different partners that this is something which is useful going, uh, going forward. Um, now, these are all good things. There are other things which we, uh, one other thing on that side is that when we build these portals and we do, we need to make sure that the information is always timely, information is always current, because unless we have that, uh, that currentness, that timeliness of information, as an operational agency, you get into trouble. You need to see what is happening right now because you have to inform decisions. That is something which is uh, which is uh, which we need to keep in mind. The other thing which we are we are seeing very much so is there is a lot of information now in this world, right? But there is still lack of knowledge, meaning you have many, many, many different streams of information coming at decision makers. But what does that mean? Can we turn it into a meaningful action? That point is becoming extremely relevant because I will tell you from, from as an analyst, I mean, you know, it's very unique to be in World Food Program because you are both producer and consumer of information. So many times I come to the portal to look at trade restrictions, for example. You know, how many countries, I don't wanna find out if it already exists but it needs to connect with many other sets of information as well to tell the decision maker what to do and what not to do. So I see these portals as steps in that direction because they answer the so what question. I collect information from 70 countries, so what? Point is, what, what do you collect? How do you use it? How is that meaningful to decision makers? So. That's, uh, that's where I think we are going and this is, this is why I'm, I'm here. Last thing I wanted to say was that what we are also seeing is that when we are doing 
real-time analysis. When we are providing real-time information and solid information, what is our capacity to adjust to that information? How quickly can you turn your operations to something which is happening in real time? Do you or you don't? Because by the time you do it, maybe the situation has changed because you're working in real time information. And for World Food Program and uh, other humanitarian agencies, development agencies, that's a very, very big question. Because unless, you know, we are, this is about changing, moving uh, big tankers, if you will, in a way. So you look at your data, you say, oh, okay, should I give, in our case, do we need to assist people with food or do we need to assist people with cash? Well, it depends on what time you are in. But when you get this information in real time, it says, ah, oh, you know what, we should be giving cash. Then we have to have that venue to give that cash. Or it could be we need to give food and we have to have the venue to give that food. So I rather know, and I think this is why I'm, I'm really, really excited at, about this portal and we look forward to working with all the partners which are involved in this. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Arif, for sharing your knowledge and, and a very fast experience on using technology to inform decision-making and responses in humanitarian crisis. It's really uh, very insightful. Thank you so much. May I remind all of you tuning in live that you can submit your brief questions uh, in the chat box and we will be coming to the Q&A session very soon. The next speaker I'm delighted to introduce is Jessica Fanzo. Uh, she is a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor of Global Food and Agricultural Policy and Ethics at the John Hopkins University. Her presentation will be on food systems dashboard, on the food systems dashboard and on the importance of data and better information for improving diets and nutrition. Jessica, the floor is yours. Welcome. Great. Thank you so much for the invitation to, to be here and to participate um, in this really important panel um, on data and its importance. And really enjoyed the, the comments from the from from both speakers so far. So I'm going to present another portal, <laughs> the food systems dashboard, um, and, and talk about that a little bit. Now, an interesting um, thing, we had actually had a prototype of this dashboard last January, January of, of 2019, and we presented it to IFPRI. We had a really nice round table where a lot of IFPRI colleagues and the network that IFPRI brings I gave feedback on the dashboard before we launched it as of uh, June 2020. So learnings from IFPRI's portal have really informed our thinking around food systems dashboard. If you could go to the next slide. Why did we do it? Well, food systems are getting international attention now. Uh, food systems are shaping diets, health, environment, climate, and other livelihoods. But policymakers are often in the dark on how to manage their food systems. They don't know where to start, how to address challenges, what actions should they take. So there's a real need for tools that contextualize food systems and their linkages to diets, nutrition, and other development outcomes. We also uh, 
noticed that food systems data is really spread across many different databases, sometimes hard to find, hard to navigate, and hard to pull together cohesively to get a food systems perspective of how do these things all link together. Next slide. So we developed a dashboard in collaboration, we being at Hopkins with GAIN, the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, FAO, and some other partners. Um, and we wanted to do three things. One was to describe food systems. What do national food systems look like? And we've done that. With the launch of the dashboard, uh, we can deeply describe how food systems look in countries. What we're working on now is diagnose and decide. Well, what are, how are food systems faring? How are they performing? How do they compare to other food systems in neighboring countries or subnationally? And what are the priority areas of action based on that diagnosis? So we're developing two new features of the dashboard to diagnose food systems, see where they're working or not working, and to make some decisions based on that diagnosis using some no regrets policy work that Corinna Hawks and colleagues are doing at City University in London. Next slide. So here's the portal, you can go, go to it. Um, you can enter it through many ways, a deep dive and compare and analyze. Or if you are not so interested in digging deep into data, you can go through country profiles. We've mapped the food systems dashboard across all of these different uh, elements of the food system, supply chains, food environments, individual factors, drivers of food systems change. And we have about 170 indicators that capture almost every country and territory in the world. And we'll be adding more in January. Next slide. There's different ways you can view the data. We tried to make it very easy to understand, so very visually appealing for policymakers. Um, easy to understand graphics. Next slide. Or you can go and do a, a, a deep dive looking at any indicator you want, disaggregated across income classification, a food system typology, uh, different ways to visualize through maps, bar graphs, scatter plots, uh, bubble charts. So we have different ways to look at the data. Next slide. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. And so, so where are we at? Well, there's many tools out there like the food security portal, which is incredibly uh, rigorous, in incredibly robust uh, portal. And I really encourage everyone to go look at it. My students at Hopkins have been using it to look at COVID uh, food prices. Um, so it's an incredibly important portal. But all of these tools, whether it be that the, the food security portal or the food systems dashboard, they do different things depending on the interests, not only of the creators, but where they feel there's a need for more visual information or more uh, ways to fill the data gaps. So the question is, how much are these used to aid in decision-making, especially in crisis situations? RT really brought up a great point. So you have all this data, it's sitting in a tool, it's sitting in a portal, now what? What do you do with it? 
we in the in the food systems dashboard have really struggled with issues like big data gaps, really significant data gaps, or outdated data, not having real-time data across many of the metrics that we track. Data that's not open access, closed data, you have to pay for it, it's behind a paywall. The inability to link the data together to really show the systems part of food systems, we've, we've struggled with those gaps. We've also struggled with ensuring that visualize, visualizations are easy to understand. Like uh, RT had said, there's lots of data out there, tons of data, what do you do with it? How do you present it in a way that's impactful and powerful for decision makers to, to, be, to take alarm, to take action? So how do we get data to be more powerfully displayed and, 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 and to elicit decision-making. And then we really struggle with subnational data and Rob had, had alluded to that as well. How do we get food systems data that's, that's deeper into countries, more subnational data, more context to make it more useful? Macro level national data is fine to look at trends, to do comparisons, but subnational data is really where the rubber meets the road. And there's just such uh, little data out there. And this really gets to the food crisis situation. You know, how do you get data, nitty gritty detailed data in real time? You know, with the dashboard, we're a bit static. You know, we're not getting real time data that you know, NASA has um, at their fingertips, but when you go to some of these NASA, dash, NASA dashboards, they're hard to navigate. I even struggle to navigate them. So how do we get real-time data that's, that's easy to understand and we can put in the hands of policymakers for them to take action? To me, this is a big gap for us in the dashboard. I'd love to hear from Rob more about, about this, um, but, but that, is, that is a significant gap for us. And to me, I feel, people will say there's lots of tools out there and, 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 and Maximo will probably talk about some of the tools that FAO has put out this year that are outstanding. To me, the more tools, the better because different people are gonna want different things from different tools. The IFPRI tool is very different than the food systems dashboard as is some of the FAO dashboards as are some of the global burden of disease dashboards. So to me, the more tools we have, the better the situation is because it, it allows for um, decision makers to be able to go to various tools to get a full picture that not every tool will, will be able to provide. The question is, is how can we ensure that uh, data is accurate, that it's used effectively, that it's open access, those are, to me, some of the, the key challenges that we face. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jessica, for, for your presentation and, and for highlighting the uh, challenges encountered by those who work on data portals or dashboards in terms of data gaps, data visualization, and getting more subnational data. Really insightful and, and, and interesting to, to, work, to listen to and to see. Thank you very much. I really have uh, the pleasure now, it's, it's a big pleasure for me now to uh, introduce uh, Usman Badiani. 
Uh, he is the executive chairperson of Academia 2063, and he will share with us some of the lessons learned. So monitoring for results, lessons from existing frameworks for CADEP, for CADEP and the Malabo Montpellier panel. Usman, delighted that you're with us and I am looking forward to your presentation. Thank you very much, uh, Tunis. It's a pleasure uh, joining you and the others and thank you for inviting me uh, and um, to be part of this uh, exciting session. Uh, I've been always uh, amazed by what the food sector portal did uh, when it started, the circumstances under which it started and what it did uh, since then. So it's an amazing uh, achievement. So congratulations to the team, initiators and those who are running it now. So I'll be talking about a different uh, initiative, but related to what you guys do um, on monitoring uh, specific important uh, uh, indicators. Uh, Rob was just saying, uh, if you can't measure it, probably you can't manage it. So here we are gearing uh, all of our efforts towards helping African countries, all 55 of them, to hold each other accountable to measure progress around an agenda they have committed uh, to work on uh, together. So let's go to the uh, next slide, uh, just to go uh, over uh, the different um, uh, tools that we have here. Um, now, the difference between what we have under CADEP and the other platform is that um, this is geared towards responding to a specific demand around an agenda where countries have made commitment and wanted to be held accountable. So it was more demand driven and focusing on very specific uh, data points uh, that are relevant to the policy agenda. And here, uh, what guides our work is a continent wide results framework that's been agreed by the 55 countries. Uh, which has seven top level indicators around the agricultural agenda, agricultural transformation, livelihoods, food security, what you need, that broader agenda under the Comprehensive Africa Agricultural Development Program, which in 2014 under the Malabo Declaration specified seven top level indicators and 40 sub level indicators. So what we're doing is to help report on this uh, uh, as much as you can and as regularly as you can uh, updating data frequently, at least on an annual basis, so countries can uh, look at it and hold each other accountable. We do that through a web-based interactive tracking platform, uh, where you can go and look at uh, all those 40 indicators uh, and uh, basically benchmark countries compare each country with another uh, in a quite nice and clear way. Then we support a mandatory continental level biennial review with data. The heads of states committed to look at each other in the eyes and look at numbers that shows how each and every country in Africa is, is um, uh, performing. And we'll look at that one as well. To support that, um, we developed an online data entry evolution platform. The difference is that we don't bring the data, the countries put the data in there, but we didn't want the countries uh, to score themselves. So we developed a quite nice interactive, but with uh, very uh, clean safeguards for countries to enter their own data. I'm not gonna talk about the last one, uh, but I just wanted for the sake of uh, uh, being uh, complete, I mentioned the joint sector reviews, which also do the kind of tracking. Next slide. So here are the seven main top level goals 
And I think around the goals and ensuring resilience, livelihoods, I think here we would like to see how we can connect with the food security portal, Tunis and others. This is where we basically can have one or two indicators, but the wealth that you have in the food security portal could be a real nice contribution to that. Um, the goals around reducing poverty, ending hunger, uh, boosting in traffic and trade, and enhancing investment. The two bottom goals are more process and, and targets related. So the next slide, please, shows um, the uh, web-based interactive tracking tool. Here you basically can track 40 indicators, not just by country, but by regions, by regional economic communities, even by grouping based on level of uh, development. And every pairs or selection that you want, they can be compared and you can look at it. So I have a nice uh, graph here uh, because it was the most colorful I could find uh, to show, but you can do this for each and every of the 40 indicators. You can do it uh, uh, for uh, all different kinds of groupings. And this is kept live. And that is the official MNE platform of the Comprehensive Africa Agriculture Development Program. Next, please. Then every two years, uh, we help the African Union produce uh, the scorecard. Uh, the uh, uh, matrix that you see here actually is the summary that heads of state see when they meet every two years. And every head of state see how your country is doing uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, average scoring. So the um, green letters means that you are on track. The red letters means you're not. Uh, the green boxes means you're making progress and the red boxes mean you are, you are going backward. And the maps is for individual indicators. And this is being produced and kept alive. And this is what heads of state see and report it against uh, every two years. Next slide. So to get to that, uh, it's, it's, we're just talking about access to data uh, at the local level and so on. It's very hard to cover 55 countries in Africa. Uh, and collecting the data, you have to do it this year already to be able to report next year. It will be never nonstop. So what we did, we supported countries with an interactive uh, online platform where they can enter their data, but it cannot score. The scoring takes auto automatically through an algorithm in the system uh, that basically takes the data and then assign a score to uh, the performance. There's a consistency check. You cannot play around with it. It allows regional economic communities to access country reports and evaluate them. And it allows the African Union to prepare uh, its report and draw, pull out a synthesis to present uh, to the heads of states. And this is available to all 55 uh, countries that work on it. Next. So uh, what I was going to say here to transition to the food security portal for the minute or so that I have left and to say that um, the complementarity I would see us here uh, that we should uh, try and, and, and put together is how do we help extend the food security portal to get access to local data? How do we help embed the food security portal uh, in ongoing policy processes in the countries, uh, in the agenda so that what you are doing is also linked uh, more closely to what's happening on the ground? So I'll stop here and I'll be happy to talk about the experience around COVID when we get to that in the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Usman. I was really amazed to see the, the, the enormous uh, uh, breadth of uh, data that you brought together and also the way that you have brought this into the policy making process. Really very interesting and amazing. Thank you for your presentation and I really enjoyed to watch it.
I would like to uh, remind again all the uh, uh, participants uh, online that we are very keen to hear from you and would like to respond to any questions that you have, any queries, any comments. So please feel free to put them in the chat box and we will very soon come to the Q&A session where we will be addressing your comments and questions. Our final speaker is Maximo Torero. He's the Chief Economist and the Assistant Director General for Economic and Social Development at the FEO. And he will address the question, do monitoring systems help to prevent food crisis? But uh, before, uh, before I come to Maximo, I would like to uh, say that Maximo was involved at the very start of this uh, food security portal. Uh, more than 10 years ago, he was one of the original designers who put everything together and uh, gave the vision for the portal and uh, put it into practice. So we are really delighted, Maximo, to have you with us today and look forward to your uh, reflections. Maximo, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Tunis, uh, and thank you all for, for the kind invitation. Uh, for me, it's uh, emotional to see the portal and especially more emotional to see that many of the tools that we develop are still there and still valid and, and being used. So I'm very happy to, to see that, that the volatility, excessive volatility tool is working and things are moving. Uh, it's a lot of work that was put in place to, to develop those tools. So, so happy to see that still those are relevant. Uh, let me, let me try to focus my presentation. I am not going to come to sell FAO here. So I am just going to bring some elements which I think are central and which we are observing uh, that has been changing substantially in the, especially in the latest months. And I think many of you, Usman, Jess uh, 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 and, and Arif has already raised. Uh, so there are four, four dimensions or five dimensions which I see a significant change in how things are moving. First is timeliness of data is central. I think what, what Arif in WFP is doing, what Usman is doing, and, and, the, and the dashboard that Jess has built up and the portal help to do that. Uh, but timeliness now is so important. Uh, uh, emergencies happened uh, over the night uh, and we have to react quickly. And if we don't have the data ready for that, it's a problem. Uh, and of course, uh, Arif will go and WFP will go and try to find a solution. The problem is that they will spend more than what they need to spend because they don't have the proper data to target properly. And they have developed very good tools to be able to, to do that. Uh, but, but still, we need imp important information on timeliness. And I think that's central. And the tool on prices that is now in, in, in the portal could help a lot on, on that. Second, uh, the geographic disaggregation. Uh, that's also another dimension. Uh, and, and, and there is so much data right now, geospatial reference. Uh, we have been investing a lot in developing the geospatial platform, but, but the, the goal here and is to make it useful, like what Usman was trying to do with his presentation and trying to show how this data can be useful. But the geographical and spatial representation of the data is element of, of centrality today because it's the only way you will be able to target those interventions and you know prices changes depending on the location where you are you can be in the north of a country and the price structure could be completely different to the south of the country and if you don't have that information disaggregated spatially then basically the average price that you present in in any portal will be useless uh, so so we need to be very careful with that uh, and that those are problems that we face every day uh, we also have uh, real-time prices and we get questioned by countries saying why these prices are so low. So making data public is central because then you get all these challenges uh, from countries that, that help you enormously to be able to improve and, and to keep improving. But it's, a, it's a, a completely process that cannot stop and can have to, to be going up. 
The, the third element is quality. And quality is an issue. Uh, one of the ways to improve quality is making data public. And, and making data public across the board with a disclaimer that you, you're making it public because you want people to look at it and to test it and to validate it. But the, the quality is, is central and we need to have protocols in place uh, to be able to assure the quality of the data. If not, we could be sending a lot of wrong signals to governments and a lot of wrong signals to consumers and people which believe in this data. And quality not only goes in the fact of the number specific, but also how I interpret the number. We have to be very careful in the interpretation of a number. Uh, excessive volatility is a very, 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 very uh, specific definition that we put and we were able to put in the G20, which is the tool that is being there. But it's very specific. It's based on a threshold, 95 percentile. It's very concrete. And the reason why we did it that way was to be able to clarify to the world a measure that people can understand what it meant. But it's a very extreme situation, OK? And it's something that needs to be very clear. Uh, second, uh, I think uh, on the numbers, we need to have protocols in place. And we need to have significant quality control protocols. It's something that, that we are trying to push, uh, the UN is trying to push, but it's something that every agency uh, should have in place because it's essential that you have data quality protocols and not only be obsessed in putting the latest number, but be sure that the number is correct or as much as you can control for. I think that's that's important. It's a challenge that we all have. It's a challenge that we have day to day. And it's a challenge that we need to, to try to find solutions. The third element is, or the fourth element, is responding to a demand. I think we need to be really good in, in trying to respond to the needs and where the information is needed. And finally, of course, analysis, uh, which is extremely important. Now, why I'm saying that, that uh, this is so important, the question that you ask me is how much we have in terms of a capacity of identifying uh, early, early warning situations. I think Arif will agree with me that uh, we don't have predictive power right now. We can see more or less when the situation is getting worse. We have the IPCC and we can see when it moves from uh, three to four and so on and so forward. We have the Cadreja Monice where we can see, and those are informations that we can use to be ready and for other institutions to be able to operate and implement things for solutions. But still, we have not been able to come up with, with predictive power and we are now investing enormous amount of, of resources and capacities to try to come up with something that can have predictive power. Uh, the excessive volatility tool had some predictive power because it was working on future prices, so you can have predictive power of what could happen in the future. But it was weeks uh, that we could have uh, predictive power. But for situations of, of crisis and food crisis, we need to combine many dimensions. So it's not only food prices, it's not only volatility, it's not only a scarcity of production or, or droughts, it's also conflict. Is also zoonotic diseases and pest and diseases, which today are one of the reasons of the problems we are facing. So combining all those elements into something that can give you predictive power to be able to, to predict what a crisis will be and how it will happen is not an easy job. No? So just to give you an idea, we have at FAO 10 different units working on early warning systems, 10 different units, which each of them were working on the silos. So we are bringing them together. The problem is that every one of these units have a human capital there, which is the one that basically knows everything. And that brain is very difficult to convert into a code that you can later process to create that, that early warning system. Uh, and that is what we're trying to do in certain way. We're trying to, to convert those brains because most of these people are going to retire soon. We have to convert those brains into something through artificial intelligence that will allow us to combine all these dimensionalities. Uh, uh, and that, I believe, is the only way we will be able to come up with more information 
that will allow us to tell the world earlier, look, something is coming here, something is going up here uh, so that agencies can react faster and, and come and, and be able to minimize the risk. The problem today is that we talk about resilience, but resilience has two components, minimization of risks and also coping with risks. And to minimize risk, we need early warning tools. We need predictive power. Uh, and, and that I think is where, where the portal could help. Uh, and that's where we need to join efforts across the board because that's where, where we only be able to help more of what we are doing today. What we are doing today is very helpful. We have a lot of tools there that are very helpful, but I think what COVID-19 has shown to us is that we need to do a lot more and we need to find ways in which we can manage a lot more the information flows that we have today, which are enormous. Uh, the NASA that, that Jess was talking, yes, it's enormous amount of complex data, but you can process it today. Before you couldn't. Uh, uh, and there is enormous amount of information coming up, but every element is useful. I can tell you today when a country could be putting an export restriction with no problem, because we know when is the threshold that they will cross. I can tell you today when a potential zoonotic disease is being starting, which nobody knows, but we know where it is. The problem is how fast it will spread and if it will really spread into something serious. So again, uh, we need to keep working together. I think uh, this type of, of efforts and, and, and the support of the, the permanent support of the European Commission to this initiative, I think is, has been great because it has been for a long time. Uh, and I think that's the way that, that these type of tools and, and portals could play a role. But let me say that a lot of work to be done in the future and a lot of things to, to improve. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maximo, for your presentation, for your, uh, your intervention. And also thank you very much for the early work you've done on the food security portal uh, in IFB. It's really excellent insights and, and you really gave it a, a great vision and uh, moved it forward. So um, thank you again very much. At this point, we are coming now to the question and answer uh, part of the, uh, uh, the, the seminar. And uh, I would, uh, uh, we have, we got quite a few questions actually, and I will uh, address them to the persons I think they should go to. And uh, I would encourage you to be to the point and, uh, uh, and, and, and not uh, too long. Um, so this first question, Rob, I think should go to you. And it comes from Iris Kreber from FCDO in the UK. Could IFPRI please speak about how they collaborate and coordinate with others? For example, IPC, FuseNet. Also, how do they add value to the work already in place? For example, the FAO and the World Food Programme. Rob, the floor is yours. Uh, thanks. Um, uh... Turners and uh, to the for this question. Um, well, there's several ways we we collaborate with other institutions. So I think a, a main um, type of collaboration where it comes to the monitoring of uh, food crisis is, of course, through the network, the uh, food security information network that coordinates the work around the monitoring for the global uh, report on food crisis. I think that's um, very well um, set up in the FSIN secretariat it keeps uh, the various um, actors together and also with the establishment of the global network against food crisis I think that uh, has uh, collaboration has, has strengthened and I think also IREF 
I mentioned there very clearly is that without this collaboration, these reports could not come, uh, come to bear and uh, also how we uh, collaborate with that. Um, so FuseNet is also part of that. So, so that's part of that collaboration. Uh, and uh, for instance, what we do at the hub is to interact with each of the um, institutions, organizations that provide uh, or manage the systems um, to find the best ways how we can present it and uh, also how we can locate it on our map, on our hub uh, for uh, food security um, uh, risk uh, uh, monitoring. So, so those are examples and, and others are more specific like the ones I mentioned with GeoGlam, NASA for uh, accessing their data, but also their interpretation of the, the data that comes from satellites for putting it on our control panel uh, for food crisis risk uh, monitoring. So those are a few examples. So there's different forms. And uh, so the most formalized form we have is through the uh, Food Security Information Network where we coordinate uh, with the other organizations and also present here uh, in trying to uh, improve the data systems and also make sure that uh, we present the data in the right way and, and try to add value to uh, what is there. Uh, thank you very much, Rob, for this answer. And I will now uh, address a question to Jessica. And the question comes from uh, Suraj Kumar. And the question is, does the dashboard have functionality to have data at sub-national levels? Could you clarify this? Thanks, thanks for the great question. Not yet, um, but we're working towards that more towards the end of 2021. What we're doing now with the dashboard is piloting the dashboard in several countries. Uh, thanks in part to USAID, they've supported um, a launch in Senegal and will do so in Ethiopia. And we're also going to be launching the, the dashboard in Tanzania and, and potentially Indonesia what that does is it allows for us to get feedback on the dashboard, how are uh, policymakers working at the national level using the dashboard to, for decision-making purposes, but also gives us an opportunity to look at the range of data that's available in countries subnationally. Um, you know, food price data is, is one thing, but if we wanna get into food environment data, the types of vendors on offer, um, access to physical and economic access to food, cost of diet subnationally. That's where we're working now. So we've been in conversations with several uh, groups, including Saskia DePay at World Food Program, who's been doing some fill the nutrient gap work subnationally to see how we can add that to the portal. But one last thing, there are some countries who are taking the bull by the horns and developing their own local dashboards, Nigeria being one of the first, they wanna develop their own food systems dashboard that captures subnational data. So we're, we're facilitating that, but Nigerians are taking the lead on that, which is fantastic. So, so stay tuned for more on subnational data. Thank you, thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, I have a question for Usman. Uh, Usman how has the COVID, and you already mentioned it in your, in your presentation, how has the COVID uh, pandemic affected the ability to do tracking and to actually uh, bring this to the attention of policymakers? 
you're muted. I, I. It's one of uh, the most common sayings these days, you are muted. <laughs> <laughs> so unmute myself, okay, I did that. So the biggest issue with COVID is the complexity of the crisis itself. Uh, you know, it, it has in its uh, consequences, what we've seen with um, the Ebola crisis, the food price crisis, the financial crisis, crisis, the droughts and floods, all the things coming together. Therefore, it has two consequences in terms of data. First, you need the data on several fronts. It was just not the food price. It wasn't just access to products, it was just movement. It was just health. So that was the first uh, challenge. And second, people couldn't move. The data you didn't have, probably you wouldn't find. It was very hard to get to that. And I think, uh, so we should be prepared for this kind of crisis that just not cause a problem uh, in terms of our economic livelihoods and, and health, but also prevent us from being able to observe what is on the ground. So I, there I would agree with Maximo that the more we can resort to artificial intelligence, uh, the better it is within it in Academia 2063 to follow production system disruptions by real-time monitoring of changes in NDVI, changes in land surface temperature, uh, and changes in precipitation, and so on and so forth. So we'll have to use more power and, and techniques to be able to generate data remotely and access and observe changes in a much more machine-learned-based technology. Thank you so much, Usman, for this very clear answer. Um, Maximo, I, I have a question for you. And the question is, how early does early warning need to be? As early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the, I think uh, it's more than early, it's, it's predictive power. Uh, you know, uh, people used to say that if you are able to predict prices, you better go out because you will be millionaire and that's true, you know? So, so one of the things that you can predict is changes and, and that's what you want to, to predict. But what is important, and, and that's where we need to fine-tune interventions. If you ask Arif how much time you need to know if something is going to happen in a country to be able to react, he will have the time he needs in advance to be able to mobilize the commodities he needs to put in place and to do all the logistics, although they are extremely efficient in how they operate in logistics. But they need time. They need to understand what is happening and so on and so forth. So, so I, I think... Uh, it's, it's a very complex issue and it's something that we need to, to work and it's not an issue of one indicator no it's an issue of a combination of series of indicators because what we have learned today is that surprises are there and surprises are tough uh, so we don't have uh, COVID is not a risk COVID is a risk once we understand the outcomes and we understand the probability that it will happen COVID is uncertainty and uncertainty is very difficult to, to predict and to and to and to preempt so I think that's where we need to have all these dimensions together uh, uh, that will allow us to, to have some, but as early as much as you can, uh, that's, that's the answer. Thank you, thank you. That's a, that's a very clear answer. Um, Arif, I have a comment for you. Please. And the comment comes from Martin Fowler. He's the Agricultural Economic Advisor in, of USAID in Kampala. And he says uh, that the mass of data and the lack of use by decision makers is very true. Uh, but almost no one is analyzing and presenting it in an, in an understandable format. And how would you reflect on moving this forward in a better way? What can we do? That's my uh, question. I, I think that's a, that's a really, uh, really good 
question. What I tell people is uh, that you need to get the wrong right. What that means is that you need to get the problem statement correctly. Because if you don't get the problem statement right, you may be solving a problem, but you're not solving the right problem. And, and I think this is a big reality in our world as we look around to make sure that we are using all of this information, not knowledge, information, to answer the right questions, you know? Because before, uh, I, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, you were really excited because if you could say, you know, oh, I collect data from a place which is non-accessible. And, you know, that was a big deal. And people used to kind of protect their data. Oh, this is my data, and, uh, you know, I'm so good. I've got all this data. Today, it's not about everybody has the data. It is about turning that data into something meaningful, which can be used. And, and to me, that is where, you know, uh, Massimo's 10 people and my 15 people and the IFPRI's portal and others, we need to come together to address the right problems. And you have Massimo is absolutely right. The, the earlier we know, the better it is, the cheaper it is. And then the other part is about quality of the data. When you are in, unfortunately, in conflict places and stuff, you don't get to do what you would do otherwise, right? You have very limited time to address problems. That's where what matters is that you're able to put confidence intervals around your estimates because you acknowledge upfront, basically say, look, this is as best as I can do. This is not perfect. But in those situations, I don't think we look for perfection. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, response. I have a question, and I think I should answer this question actually to, to Jessica. And the question comes from Ravi Soni. He's the chief executive officer at Gruss and, and Grade. Do we have any data or information regarding fortification challenges and pricing strategy for improved nutrition? Jessica. Um, <laughs> almost, almost didn't press the button. Um, on fortification, there's actually another tool, another dashboard out there on fortification. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of, of, of the tool. Um, it, it looks more at, I think it looks more at policies related to uh, fortification legislation or law in place. I'm not sure what of major commodities. I'm not sure what else it provides. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not doing it justice, but there is a whole dashboard tool uh, dedicated to fortification of foods. Um, on, on our dashboard, we uh, have only really one indicator on fortification of whether or not a country has a fortification uh, policy or law. Uh, and we have a bit on biofortification, um, but that's about as far as we go on, on um, as far as a nutrition intervention. Um, we have a lot more on uh, 
other policies like food-based dietary guidelines, does a country have that in place? Uh, does, the, does the country have a tax uh, policy or law in place on taxing of unhealthy uh, food and beverages? Um, but that's about it. Our policy uh, analysis is, is a bit weaker as compared to the, the food security portal, IFPRI's if tool, which is very strong on policies, particularly the new policy interface with COVID. Um, but we hope to strengthen that when we add the uh, decision piece to the, to the tool. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. That's, that's clear. Um, I, I now go to Rob. And uh, Rob, this is a, a question from uh, Mangesha. He's from the FEO in Ethiopia. And his question is, is it possible to get data at district level from the food security portal? That's a good question. Um, not across the board. Um, we have, for some of our indicators, um, very disaggregated uh, data. So particularly for the, um, the new food price um, tracker, uh, that's data collected from local markets, the retail wholesale uh, markets. And so for the countries where we have the data. So um, uh, six or seven countries in East Africa that are covered, and, and there you can find the data for uh, all kinds of food products at uh, at that level of disaggregation, and that we uh, update uh, uh, on a daily basis. Um, other data is in the works. So, like the data I mentioned for the uh, risk, um, the, the control panel for food security risks. Um, there we already have uh, information at uh, district level, but also more refined levels where we use the satellite uh, data images. Um, and that, for instance, uh, that's what we work on now. So we try to uh, then match with the OSTE information uh, that we get from, for instance, the integrated phrase classification um, uh, run by FAO and other organizations that provide the, um, uh, the food crisis situation at a, a lower level, subnational level, um, in terms of the degree or the, the amount of population, the share of the population that's affected by uh, different levels of uh, food crisis and food crisis risk. Um, so that's uh, where we stand. So there's, there's some information that's at that level, but unfortunately, and others alluded to that, uh, we're not there yet that we can do that uh, for uh, all indicators, all parts of the uh, food security portal. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Usman, I would like you to reflect on the uh, on the next question. Uh, given your your very extensive experience with with uh, um, dashboards and collecting uh, information and and um, working in uh, and giving advice to policymakers, and the question comes from Viona Wallace. She is from Nutrition Opportunities Worldwide. How accessible are individual databases that underpin dashboards? And are references to them available? What is your reflection on this? Um, this is actually an excellent question, um, Tunis. It should be a uh, basic principle that the data feeding into our dashboards are not only available, but downloadable and documented in terms of the sources and, and, and the metadata that people will need. Uh, all the dashboards that I presented here 
actually have functions to download the raw data in different formats, uh, to chart them, to print them, and to download them. And I think that should be really the principle behind any and every dashboard. Thank you so much, Usman, for your response to this uh, question. Um, I, sorry, there's some things going on at the same time here. I would uh, like to actually um, go back to, to Rob again, because I think you are best placed to answer this question. Food security in India is a problem of food distribution, irrespective of food production. How do you think that the food security portal could be a workable solution? Do you have some reflections on, on how this can be relevant for India? Um, well, first of all, so, so we uh, provide analysis and data that can help uh, find the solutions, right? And so, uh, so that's the task of the food security portal. But for instance, in the case of India, we refer again to um, the food um, price tracker that we recently developed. Uh, what for India would be of interest to look at the um, and monitor the data we have there for India, which covers uh, um, all um, major wholesale markets throughout the country and tracks the prices on a daily basis. And so what we've seen there is that um, uh, indeed that in parts where distribution problems have emerged that you also see price spikes. So what then the portal uh, can help do is identify uh, possible uh, problems of sorts that, that through the price indicators, uh, which then subsequently we have to be taken onwards to further analysis. Okay, if in a particular market uh, near New Delhi or some other part of, of India, shows these spikes um, that are not seen throughout the country. And that's then a more specific analysis first and then intervention would need to take place to, um, to uh, address the, the problem. So I think that's an example of how the portal could be helpful uh, in addressing issues uh, in this case around food distribution that um, uh, may be reflected in, in price changes. Um, and the portal then provides the information to dig into that issue. Uh, thank you, thank you, Rob. Uh, Maximo, I have a question for you. And the, the question is, um, you've, you've managed some of the challenges that, that there are at, at FEO with all the different groups working on, on, on data sets, on, on dashboards. What are the biggest opportunities going forward in the coming 10 years? What do we really need to invest in? If you had a limited budget, how would you prioritize that budget for the FEO as far as data sets and, and dashboards are concerned? Okay, that, that's a complex question. Uh, FAO has as a mandate to, to manage enormous amounts of data for different things. So we have, we are custodian of several SDG indicators and that's something that we have to do no matter what. Uh, we also work in emergencies and, 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 uh, and that's something that we have to do. But if I have additional funds, uh, what I will invest right now is in, in, in this uh, situation room that we are building, uh, which is trying to bring this early warning system. And uh, I think it's central to, to do that. Uh, and it's our priority right now. Uh, that's my, my, my top uh, priority. And what that will require uh, and the way it works is basically 
you are systematizing enormous amounts of information but making it compatible in different groups. So zoonotic diseases with prices, with commodity production, with geographical data, and so on. You need to bring it together and make it compatible so that you can then use technology to be able to, to analyze it in, in different ways to be able to, to optimize. Uh, the, the, the benefits of, of, of breaking the silos or linking the silos, whatever you want to call it, uh, is that the, the people working understands immediately the, the advantages of, of looking at the other things that the others were doing. Only that effect creates a huge uh, incentive for the human capital to operate better and, and to try to achieve something better. Uh, and, and I think this situation room could help to do that and, and to, and it's not an FAO centric at all. It's, we have to link it with all the initiative of IFPRI, of WFP, of the World Bank. It has to be, as, as it was mentioned before, we have to work as a team here because the problem is extremely complex. It's not a simple problem and that's where we need to to, to, to bring all the capacities we can, uh, and especially also bring capacities at the regional level, like academia and so on, to, to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, uh, um, Maximo, for your response. Um, I, I have a question from, um, uh, that has come here, it's not clear from who, but, uh, Somebody who wants to know, and, and I think Rob, you can, uh, can can quickly give some feedback on this. They want to know how, how they can give feedback and suggestions on being more interactive with the food security portal so that as we go along that they can sort of uh, also participate in, in, in how the portal functions. Um, well, the easiest way is just to open the web page for the food security portal, scroll down to the bottom, and that's where we have... Uh, uh, an option to provide immediate feedback uh, on the portal and also to uh, subscribe and to get uh, uh, alerts on a regular basis of the uh, of what the food security portal is doing. Then uh, we welcome all kinds of suggestions for people to collaborate, provide information, and then we'll see uh, how we can um, uh, insert that into the food security portal um, or think of forms of collaboration where we can expand our coverage and approve our on our data. Can I just, while you are uh, on the screen, while you're on the screen all the time, but now your whole face is in front of me, uh, um, could you also uh, briefly uh, respond to this? Uh, will the tool be useful in helping small scale farmers to achieve their individual goals in Sub-Saharan Africa? Well, that's uh, an underlying uh, objective of, of all our work, but. Uh, Particularly also of the of the portal, as you mentioned at the end of my presentation, so the the we presented basically what you see in the what we call the global food security portal. But um, uh, main focus is on uh, information data specific to uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, and that's uh, also where we have a specific version of the tool um, of the portal in French and in English. So. Uh, I think all the data that's relevant uh, to smallholders that, that have to do with uh, the general food system uh, situation, uh, food market situation have to do with, with prices, uh, but also the indicators that we have on food access um, and as well as on the risk factors. And I think that's one of the key features um, uh, to underline here is, is the risk factors that could threaten food production, 
but above all, food security and food availability uh, for um, as not just smallholders, but for uh, all um, uh, consumers uh, of food, and particularly the weaker ones. So I think that's um, uh, so we we help provide that with looking at both the um, information we have and then also engaged in the through the policy dialogues with stakeholders, uh, what can be done to improve uh, the food security situation uh, in, uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa uh, with a specific emphasis on uh, the situation for smallholder farmers, which make up a lot of the food insecure people in Sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you very much, Rob. I, I would uh, like to, to very briefly uh, ask each of you to just take, say, 30 seconds to give a very, and I'm sorry, 30 seconds is not much, but I know how efficient all of you are, uh, to very briefly give you a last sort of reflecting words before I go over to the European Commission to, uh, to, to, to close this, this webinar. Let me start from uh, with, with uh, Maximo. Maximo, you have 30 seconds, and I know you are a very rapid speaker, so we look forward to, to hearing you. No, I, I think uh, we need to change, we need to move fast, uh, and we need to, to be able to bring the analytics and the information in the velocity that is needed to, to, to avoid uh, situations like the one we are facing today. So what we are facing today is terrible uh, and it's going to get worse. Uh, and we need to find ways in which we can help to increase this capacity to minimize risk in the future. And, and these are the types of tools that we need to push forward uh, to, to do that. But we don't have time to lose. Thank you so much. Usman? Thank you, um, Tunis. A couple of uh, ideas. First, I think um, looking at the growing number of these different uh, dashboards and, and tools and platforms, perhaps some, some bigger of a little bit more specialization, but digging deeper uh, might be helpful. And second, um, we have to continue to work to make the data speak, basically to get more out of the data. And we won't do it just with traditional tools. I think bringing more artificial intelligence will allow us to get more out of them. Thank you so much, Usman. Excellent uh, comments. Uh, Jessica. Yeah, I think um, I completely agree with, with both what Maximo and Usman said. Maybe just something a little bit different that I think also is needed is just more data generation coming from the ground up from farmers, consumers, you know, more of the crowdsourcing data and how do we use that data to inform decision-making. So, you know, we, we just wrote a paper looking at some of the big research and data challenges. I mean, we're in this time of misinformation where data's being undermined or, you know, completely scrutinized or disregarded. So we're really in this strange moment about how data is perceived publicly. Um, but I think there's a real uh, dearth of, of ownership, particularly in low-income contexts, Africa. You know, how do we elevate and give voice to African scholars who are generating data and put them their data on on global dashboards. I think there's a lot of data being collected, but they just don't have the agency or the platforms to be able to participate in some of these um, global agendas that are often led by high income country colleagues. And, and so I think there's a real inequity in who collects data and who gets access to platforms to be able to put their data out there. So it's just a, a call to think about 
equity issues of, of, of data and, and information. Thank you so much, Jessica. I have uh, still uh, 30 seconds for Arif and then 30 for Rob Foss, otherwise I get into serious troubles. Um, Arif. Oh, very, very quickly. Don't get me into trouble. No, I won't. Just very, very quickly, you, you can use technology to do two things. One, you can use technology to do what you've always done, but a bit faster and in more places. Or you can use technology to think of doing things which you haven't done before. I think we are at that stage. We need to start thinking about how, what else can we do? Not always the same route we have taken for the last 30 years. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Rob? I can only echo what others said. Uh, we, we have uh, lots of data. The, the, the challenge for is uh, how can we use them to understand better the risks to our food systems, to our to food security, uh, and to convey them in the right way to stakeholders so they understand the risk and know how to act on them. So uh, I'd like to underline that that's the importance uh, also moving forward where the food security portal will put a lot more emphasis on is to engage the users a lot more uh, in how we uh, present the data to make sure that uh, they're usable uh, for um, the actions and uh, the awareness that they need to have around the risks to our food system. Thank you so much, Rob, for this, uh, this uh, uh, concluding words from your side. Uh, let me now call on uh, Philip Thomas. Uh, Philip is the head of sector food and agriculture systems, crisis and resilience from the European Commission, and he will offer closing remarks. Philip, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I would like to, to verify if my presentation is really uh, here. Not yet, not yet. We are seeing your face and that's also a pleasant sight. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't understand why, because uh, uh, we, we, we tried to do it uh, before and it was... Uh, Yes, sorry for that. No problem. Yes, thank you very much. And I, I think uh, we've got a very inspiring uh, discussion during this meeting, and it's explained uh, well why the EU supports uh, the food security portal. Uh, and uh, uh, as explained by Massimo, uh, if we are looking with uh, current trends, uh, uh, food crisis uh, and food insecurity will be worse and worse. Uh, we, we start uh, uh, at the end of uh, 2019 uh, with uh, uh, 435 million in food crisis and now with uh, COVID we know uh, the situation is worse but uh, if uh, uh, in a long-term perspective uh, uh, 2030, 2050 uh, and beyond, uh, if uh, uh, the global trends such as uh, demographic, climate change, uh, uh, natural resources degradation, loss of biodiversity are not reversed, uh, of course, it will be worse and worse. So, of course, we, we have to, 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 to change our approach from uh, uh, a large part. Uh, and uh, uh, during uh, 
in uh, 2019 uh, with uh, WFPFAO and uh, IFPRI and all partners uh, within the global uh, network of food crisis, uh, we established uh, these uh, evidences uh, uh, food systems are at risk. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, it's uh, because of uh, uh, demography, because uh, uh, of urbanization, because of climate change, because of uh, soil degradation. And now with uh, COVID-19, we've got uh, uh, some more people in food crisis uh, with uh, data of September 2020, and uh, it will be worse. Uh, so, uh, 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 of course, uh, uh, we've got also the main challenges is uh, resource scarcity. Uh, these maps, uh, in my opinion, show well what was the situation before uh, industrialization. Uh, and uh, uh, we are in this stage with uh, land uh, occupation, and uh, uh, this is the tendencies for uh, 2015. So uh, I don't know how we will be able to, to feed uh, the planet uh, in a sustainable way. Uh, and uh, of course, we could add a lot of uh, big challenges, such as uh, phosphorus. Uh, I saw this morning uh, a coalition for phosphorus uh, in Arizona, uh, uh, but uh, we've got uh, this uh, main issue. Of course, uh, without uh, uh, phosphorus, there is no uh, life. And uh, we know we use more and more uh, mineral uh, phosphorus, and we've got uh, uh, as oil, the uh, same uh, uh, curve, uh, and uh, uh, in uh, 10, 20, or 30 years, uh, there is not enough uh, mineral phosphorus uh, to produce uh, more. So, of course, uh, this uh, reality uh, imposes us uh, to have a new approach. So this is why uh, in the European Commission, our uh, president, Ursula uh, von der Leyen, uh, launched this EU Green Deal. EU Green Deal means uh, we need to have uh, uh, these three objectives of sustainability, social, economic, and environmental sustainability uh, within uh, the uh, different uh, five areas. So uh, with all the challenges, how to have uh, external uh, positive externalities uh, and uh, really to arrive to have uh, a sustainable agri-food system. And it's, it's also the main issue of uh, the World Food Summit, uh, uh, World Food System Summit uh, in 2021. So of course, we need evidences. We need to uh, really uh, be able to, to, to have this uh, uh, approach uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to bring together an inclusive value chain, uh, food and nutrition security, and sustainable management of uh, natural resources. Uh, but for that, we need really to, to, to work together. So this is uh, why uh, with uh, IFPRI, with WFP, with uh, FAO, we, we built uh, this global network again, a food crisis uh, uh, with a perimeter of uh, uh, agriculture, food security, 
and uh, nutrition to really have a transformation of agri-food system. And uh, uh, in this approach, uh, we have three blocks, three interlinked uh, dimensions. And the first one, of course, is data and analysis. And, but as, you, as someone uh, explained, uh, data and analysis, yes, it's, it's good, but it's not enough. We have to, to act and to be able to use this information, this intelligence, to really uh, have a strategic investment in food and nutrition security. But also, of course, due to all these challenges, it's also a political issue. Uh, and uh, we have to go beyond food and to be able to take in consideration uh, some issues uh, such as uh, climate change or uh, security issues. And uh, we have to do that at uh, uh, national, uh, uh, regional and uh, global level. So with the food security portal, we are in this first pillar in data and analysis. And my main message, it's uh, really, uh, and uh, you'll see you, I, I'm arriving to the conclusion because I, I don't want to be uh, too long, uh, but we need uh, to really address uh, uh, the growing of humanitarian need. Uh, and uh, it was the, uh, during uh, the World Food, uh, the World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul in 2016, it was the same, Thing, uh, Samsung with a uh, 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 grand bargain and uh, how to implement uh, humanitarian development and pin nexus. Uh, and to be frank, do we able to really tackle the complexity and uh, interlinked uh, root causes of food crisis and uh, food insecurity? So this is. Uh, objective of the agri-food system uh, uh, approach, but also uh, it's what we hope with the World Food System Summit. And we need intelligence because, uh, to be frank, I'm not very confident in this result of, the, of, of uh, this uh, uh, summit because the challenges are huge. So knowledge, in my opinion, in our opinion, is never enough. Uh, uh, it's a global public good. So there is no uh, competition between the different systems within the global network against food crisis. We had a lot of discussion between uh, uh, food security information network uh, producing the global report on food crisis or the early warning system or the real-time data. And of course, uh, IFPRI and notably uh, the food security portal is one pieces of uh, this uh, knowledge and this intelligence. So uh, this is why I'm very happy uh, today uh, to be here, not only with IFPRI, but also with the WFP, with uh, the FAO and uh, all key partners uh, dealing with uh, this uh, approach. So thank you and good luck to the FSP, but also good luck to all us to be able to really face to these uh, uh, increasing challenges. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Philippe Thomas, for these uh, excellent closing remarks and for closing this policy seminar. And thank you to all our program participants and to all you, our audience, for joining us today. 
I invite you to join us next Tuesday, December 1 at 9.30 a.m. for our seminar entitled The New Nutrition Reality, Time to Recognize and Tackle the Double Burden of Malnutrition. Thank you and goodbye.